My name is Susie Can, and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. This thread on practical skills, also recording at the time of Lunasa, at the time of the beginning of first fruits and harvest, I thought I'd focus on a couple of different things related to this time of year. One of them is related to the grain harvest. So at this time of year, in the past, people were harvesting, just like we do today, grains, and you end up with not just the grain and the food for the winter, but you end up with all the straw. And straw is in some ways considered such a mundane material and often used as animal bedding, but not much more these days. And even in fact, I know many people who keep horses don't even use straw as bedding so much anymore. They use various kinds of shavings and so on. So straw exists as a byproduct of grain production, and but there are also other kinds of fibers that are similar to that. In wet areas, you would have had rushes. And those kinds of materials were used so frequently in so many different ways that there is a whole book on them. It's called Straw, Hay and Rushes in Irish folk tradition, and it's by a woman called Anne O'Dowd. And she documents in detail all of the different things that were done with the materials. For example, bedding is the one for not just animals, but rushes were laid down on a floor as bedding for guests. They were laid down for festivals. Straw was woven into corn dolly type of ideas where you could make something out of straw at this time of year that was then used as the babog back around at a different cycle in the year at St. Bridget's Day. So things were, were used as headdresses for the mummers. They were used as and skeps and all sorts of things. One of the ones that's in that book that's particularly interesting given the amount of swimming in the Irish Sea and the Atlantic that people around our shores are doing in the hot weather we've been having is that they used to make straw flotation circles that children could be in on a shoreline uh, to keep them safe or in a river to help them learn to swim. So there's great ingenuity. And so it's something to think about is what might you make use of straw for. I use it in the garden a great deal because I live on the east coast of Ireland. I can use it 
as a mulch, something I've mentioned before, but it's in hot weather like we've had recently and been a very, very helpful thing for keeping moisture in the soil when I have very sandy soil and very dry, very easy for it to dry out in dry patches of weather in the annual gardens at this time of year. So uh, since it has been really hot, the, the straw mulches have really helped keep moisture in the soil. So what could you make out of straw? Well, I use it as well in the cob mixes when I'm making uh, cob. It's another part of the building materials. But one of the simplest ways that people uh, use straw or the strawy parts of plants, this might be something you might be doing is lifting onions and you end up with, if you lift the whole onion and keep the part so if you were making something in a craft way out of straw, one of the ways that that's done most simply is by a form of plaiting. So you could plait lengths of straw and then you could shape it into a spiral. You could sew it with another fiber and end up with a straw basket. The strawy parts of plants themselves, so straw in, in, that I'm referring to is straw from crops residue, but also, if you're lifting other things in the garden, like onions or garlic, might be lifted at this time of year, and then you let them dry out in the sunshine and keep their stems on them, then they become a kind of a straw-like stem. And then once the straw part of an onion or garlic has dried out completely, you can use that plaiting again to just plait strings of garlic or strings of onion to hang up around the kitchen and have for handy use. And they're really attractive. And that's one of the things, if you look at any of the crafts around the world still used to create things out of straw, one of the, th the ones is the, the straw man or the scarecrow, which in the garden at the minute, because I've got a lot of birds eating fruit, a scarecrow is a great idea to, or maybe more than one scarecrow and some shiny things and some noise making things. But the idea of the straw man, so that original scarecrow made out of old clothes stuffed with straw, like the one we know from The Wizard of Oz. But it's another way of thinking of a use for how it could stuff things. And because it is a time you can gather plants and dry them, so one of the things that I'm doing a lot is dehydrating, but you can also be lifting herbs and hanging them up in warm weather or in a warm place and let them dry out. And they also become kind of straw-like. And so you have these bouquets of dried herbs. So it's kind of this strawy parts of plants that I'm thinking about, lovely and smelly that you have hanging up or you can just use them dry. And that, but that, this part of plants that we we tend to think about the leaves and we tend to think about the fruits and the edible things, but it's just an interesting way to think of something that's normally seen as a waste product and yet was really, really central to our production. There's even lots of words in our language around clutching at straws and the last straw giving a hint at how important these rather mundane parts of plants were and how much they were made use of in the past.
So if you are cutting down any plants in the garden or you have access to waste parts that others throw out the straws, think about the things that you can experiment with by twisting and plaiting and coiling and threading and sewing together, whether it be a form of basketry or rope or making figurines, large or small. Don't forget about the humble parts of plants that are straw and rushes and even hay. But next I want to talk about the harvest in, of the other things that are coming in from the garden at this time of year and the beginning of really what for the next couple of months becomes this rush until the end of harvest begins at autumn equinox and the last things have to be brought in. But here we are right at the beginning of harvest and it's good to think about how you're going to enjoy it now in feasts and festivals of family if you can and what you might make out of things, but also so the cooking and what you're processing, but also what you might be preserving and how you can preserve things. So I'm going to just talk through a couple of different preserving techniques that I use and think about that for a bunch of different vegetables and fruits that are coming in. But if you've got a garden, you may have something like courgette or summer squash coming in. So ways that I like to cook that are very simple. I mean, there is the sort of traditional ratatouille with courgette and tomato because they're both coming often at this time of year and just a bit of onion and herbs and you have a very tasty sauce for all sorts of, of meals. But I also like roasting courgettes and there's different recipes, but one I like is a little bit of olive oil and garlic and squeeze of lemon on strips of courgette or if it's a big one if you've missed one which is quite easy at this time of year that you've got a really large courgette you can scoop out a bit of the softer stuff in the middle and stuff it with tomatoes or some grains maybe leftover rice or buckwheat and garlic and then bake that closed in a dish in the oven and Recently, I made one because in our glass house, we have an apricot that is in just an abundance of apricots. And so I stuffed a summer squash with apricots and it was absolutely gorgeous together. So those are some of the ways to cook them. But if you have access to an oven you can put on on low or a dehydrator, there are a couple of ways that I like to process courgettes for keeping for winter um, through drying them out. One is a little more work, but if you have a spiralizer, which is just a, I have a hand version of this, but I think that people have them for machines as well. Uh, it's just a way of cutting up and getting a kind of spaghetti out of your courgettes. and But you can do that with a knife because it actually shrinks away so much that you want quite thick pieces to lay out on a baking sheet and just put in a very, very low oven until it's dehydrated and then you scoop it up and you've got non-grain-based vegetable spaghetti that you can rehydrate in the winter, you just drop it into a little bit of hot water 
and it'll rehydrate really quickly, but it's a good one if you find that too much grains uh, don't agree with you. Um, I did taste a dehydrated cubes of courgette dipped in icing sugar, and they were like a kind of strange Turkish delight. They were kind of jelly-like, very tasty. It was a man in Bratislava made them, um, and I got a gift of them. So I haven't tried that again myself, but it, I, if you end up with an awful lot of courgettes, you might consider a courgette candy. So it's a way of having maybe less, a minimal amount of sugar, but a vegetable that isn't really like or seems in any way like a vegetable for children. It's an alternative to other kinds of candy. Another vegetable I am processing a lot of at the moment are peas and beans. And they're ones that I like to keep in the freezer because they're such a handy, easy to access vegetable out of the freezer in the winter. So I like to have at least some done into the freezer. And how I do that is either what's called blanching. So you pick and shell your peas or your beans and you plunge them into hot water for just a short period of time, not to fully cook them, just maybe for a couple of minutes. I also do it in a steamer where I just throw them on the top of a steaming pot and then you rinse them immediately in cold water. And you can put them into a bag, but if you put those without them kind of having dried very much into a bag in the freezer, what usually happens is you get big clumps of them and then that's a lot harder to break apart if you don't want to eat all of them. If you're just looking for a small quantity, you can either break them up into small enough quantities that you have them in bags or Tupperwares. But one way that's handy, and you can do this with lots of the summer fruits too, like strawberries that are being pretty abundant, raspberries coming in continually now through the autumn. First, freeze them on a tray like a baking sheet, a metal baking sheet, and spread all the fruit or all the peas or all the beans out on the tray and let them freeze that way. And once they're frozen, then put them into bags. They'll stay uh, less stuck together and you can kind of lift out a handful whenever you need to. And you can also do it that way in a Tupperware in the freezer rather than freezer bags, which are a lot of plastic and I don't like to use too many of those. As I mentioned, berries there, if you're dehydrating, like I was talking about dehydrating courgette strings, you can also dehydrate all of the berries. And this is something that, again, it's much easier if you have a dehydrator. But if you don't, you can do it in a very, when I say low oven, it's like just switched on and overnight maybe for some of the thicker berries. And I also did that with the apricot abundance, was slice them up. And, and they're just such wonderful things to have for the winter that I, although it can be a bit of effort, it's one one that I like. I'll just put the effort in because then in the middle of winter and you're having your porridge or something, you get a big handful of dehydrated fruit. It's just a real luxury through the winter. So that's one that you can do. If you are dehydrating berries or even the apricots, just to be sure, especially if you want to keep them at a semi dehydrated. So I often dehydrate some things till they're really crispy. And then you can be sure there's no moisture at all and no bacteria. But the apricots and some of the berries are a little nicer if you if they don't go all the way dehydrated. They're just they've got more of a slight chew to them, be a little bit like a raisin. So with those ones after topping and tailing and 
kind of handling them, give them a rinse so there's not bacteria on them either. But the rinse, I put a good bit of lemon juice, squeeze three or four lemons, and then just add a little bit of water, and then just throw the berries as I'm top and tailing them into that, and then spread them out on your dehydration sheets or tray. And that just really minimizes the bacteria that lemon juice will kill off any surface bacteria. A couple of different ways of preserving. And of course, there's the, all the usual ones of jam making. We will be making apricot jam and usually a multi-berry jam. Don't necessarily pick them all separately. I have so many different berries in the forest garden that whatever's ripe at a particular moment goes into a, a multi-berry jam. And sometimes I'll make a jelly, although I usually don't do jellies until the apples are in, which is not going to be yet. That'll be another couple of months away. But if you are making either of those, the, the traditional way that most people make jams in Ireland is with sugar. But there are some interesting ways to make jams without sugar using other kinds of setting agents like carrageen, seaweed makes a kind of a jelly. But I do just end up making some sugar jams. I do try to go a little bit easy, like it's supposed to be about a pound of fruit to a pound of sugar. I go a little less than that, and it just means that when the jams are open, that they might need fridged because it's the sugar that's helping preserve them. In my mum's day, they were very fond of making freezer jam out of strawberries. One more practical thing for this episode in the practical thread is what am I doing in the garden? It is a time of year when, because of the growth, you might be doing some weeding. I did a little bit of weeding recently on the carrot and parsnip beds because they really dislike weed competition. They're a good one to keep ahead of. I had a funny way of weeding recently. I'm sure people who might listen to podcasts, for example, are used to this sort of thing. But I was attending, there's been a lot of really good online conferences and some of them I have to attend for my day job. And so I attended a conference recently that was through Zoom, as many of them are. And I just brought my Zoom on the phone down to the garden and set it beside me. And there was a couple of breakout rooms later on, which I had to stop weeding for, but while I was listening to speakers and I found that because I was doing something with my hands, I was really able to pay attention to what the speakers were saying very well. And I just sat it beside me and, and worked my way through weeding the carrots and parsnips. So they're very carefully and thoroughly weeded right now. So that's a practical thing that not all the plants are as weed intolerant, but carrot, parsnip, onion don't like weed competition at all. So by now, hopefully other plants that you might have intercropped and planted together. And if you have things that you're putting in for July, that you might be putting in some winter kales or Brussels sprouts or purple sprouting broccoli, things that are quite small, it's a good idea to put in lettuce in between until they get big. Or I often put in some small summer cabbage between things that I'll be pulling those out and then the cauliflowers and things will come on later on. So to avoid weeding at this time of year, dense planting is a great strategy if you're not mulching with straw, for example. And then the other thing is earth up potatoes. I plant them quite deep in raised lazy beds at the very beginning so they're already down relatively deep, but I will 
scoop up more earth on top of them, making sure that the stems are really deep because the potatoes produce more of their tubers from the long stems. So the longer the stem, the more tubers you get. And then I do use straw again, just to throw around the potatoes to keep the rest of the weeds down around them. So those are some of the practical things that I'm doing at this time of year. I hope that you try some of them out in your crafting, in your gardening, and your time in nature. <laughs>